start by saying that I have a mission for this episode. Okay. And my mission is to have the only annoying thing about me be my voice this episode. No burps, no hiccups. No burps, no hiccups, no sit there and say, no stand there and say, which is a phrase I say a lot, Mm -hmm. I guess. No burps, no rights. Sure. And staying on topic. This is my pledge to you and our listeners. All right. You know what my biggest fear is, though? My biggest fear is that this actually proves to be a strong episode for me. And I have to try this hard every (laughs) single episode. To live up to the expectation. Sure. So I'm just going to sound like I have to blow my nose the whole episode, Mm -hmm. which is what I think my voice conveys normally, which I don't need to blow my nose. Right. Okay. (laughs) So I get to work today Mm -hmm. and... I can see that our office is completely dark. The lights are off. And so I go to put my key in the door to unlock it. And I realize the door's unlocked. And so every time that happens, I know that the lady who works with us, she's not on our team, but she kind of like two or three days a week works in our office. Yeah. Right in our lobby area of our office this uh, door right on the left-hand side. And so I figure she's here. She gets there early. Mm-hmm. So I open up the door, and sure enough, her door's open, her lights are on, and I have an earbud in listening to something. And I have to prop the door open for the day, right? So I prop the door open, and I walk by her office, and I hear like this really creepy music. And so I walk by our office after saying like, good morning. And then I freeze and I take out my earbud and it is, it's like Bioshock three kind Mm. of like twenties, thirties music, like on a gramophone. Sure. It just sounds like she's cranked up this gramophone. Uh It's like old timey, but not like fifties, not Motown. Like people singing in a tin can kind of right. sound. And so I'm frozen there and I'm listening to it. She also looks like a character from Bioshock 3. Mm-hmm. One of the villagers. Mm-hmm. So I'm like frozen and I'm listening to this music. And I'm like, what is she listening to? And why is it so loud? And then I realized she can't hear my footsteps. By now, she's probably expecting me to like be walking down the hallway. Right. So I have a moment of like panic. And so I like start stomping down the hallway really loudly to kind of signify that like I'm not creepily outside your yeah. uh, office right. listening to your music. I wasn't just frozen in terror at the music you're listening to <laughs> by yourself in a completely dark office. In a office. completely dark office in this kind of music. <laughs> right. 
So I go to my office and I just like had a chill up my spine. Like it just, it was unsettling. It was just an unsettling thing to walk into. So the morning goes on and she comes out like I got a chill just now. It's, it's her too. But anyway, she comes out and she goes to talk to my boss and they're having a conversation. And from down the hall, I hear like, uh-huh. you know, and I'm like, it's playing loud. And this is the first time she's ever played music like this. First time ever. And how old is this woman? Gray hair, but looks like she could be young. Like gray hair slicked back and how you had your hair last week. Uh-huh. Almost gelled straight back and short. Gray, mostly gray, but I feel like if you're like, oh, how old are you? She'd be like, I'm 27. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, you are. Mm -hmm. I believe that as much as I believe she's a little older than me. Maybe is my best guess. So I'm down the hall and she's talking to my boss. I can hear her music coming down the hall. Number one, my one of my questions is. Why do people play music in a close quartered office space? Yeah. I mean, we she's out in the lobby, but I'm two offices removed from her down a hallway. But still, I have somebody across the hallway from me who listens to music as well. I have headphones. I thought headphones are kind of like office standard policy. Mm-hmm. A- am I wrong? Uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I have enough experience when I worked at parks and rec, it was all closed offices. So it wasn't like cubicles or anything, but it was also pretty loud. And I also worked with some guys that were like really loud talkers, Mm -hmm. but I would play music, but I would play it very low. And if I was going to like listen to anything that I wanted to actually pay attention to, I would just listen to it. was just use headphones. But like in my office now, I'm like in a corner completely by myself. But I am still very conscious about like if I'm playing something on my speaker, if like how loud it is and how far away you can hear it from. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't imagine playing anything like super loud. I've never had to deal with that. And creepy. Well, yeah. So. She's talking to my boss, and I'm sitting in my office, and I'm just thinking about that morning. I'm hearing this music, and I decide I need to get some video footage of what I walked into. I figure I want to restage my my entrance into uh-huh. the office with my camera yeah. and kind of peek it into her office so you can visualize sure. experience what right. i experienced this is always a bad de- a bad idea by the way always, always a, bad, a idea. bad idea so i i begin to start thinking in my office wait how long has she been talking to him because mm-hmm. this idea would have been good to have five minutes ago right. when she started talking right there's no way that they're going to be talking for much longer so I either need to act on this or need to give it up 
and just chalk this up to a creepy experience that no one else is ever going to understand. Mm-hmm. And I decide, nope, I'm going to try and get some video footage. So I get my phone out. I walk down the hallway. I pass them. She also is not in his office. She's kind of doing the half in, half out thing. So at any point, she could be like, okay, and two steps, and she can see her office. So I walk by her. I get the video footage, or I get my video on. Mm-hmm. I take a step out into the lobby, and one of our student workers is at the front desk. Uh-huh. And I realize this student worker can see Right. Me, like whatever I'm going to do, yeah, they're just going to be sitting there looking at me doing it. But I've already committed to getting this footage. And so I panicked because uh-huh. then I turn and I realize she can see my screen. Anyway, I have like three foot, three seconds of the <laughs> most kind of like jumbled footage of right. literally nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. I'm having a seizure. It looks like. Right. But you can see her office. You can't hear anything. Right. It may as well have just been like a you went to take a picture but realized it was on video <laughs> and just stopped exactly. real quick. <laughs> and so I end up just doing this weird kind of like pivot in the lobby area. And then it really does hit me like this is a bad idea. Yeah. If at any point she turns around, she sees me like holding a camera in her office or walking by or doing what I did before where I pause by her office. It's it was never a good idea. And it all hit me right there. Yeah. So then I just kind of like pivot, go back into my office. You have to. I think you have to like. You have to approach it different. Like you couldn't have like you should have walked by the office. And then as soon as you get like, well, I guess you because you wanted to get the whole reveal, I guess. But I would have just walked in front of the office and then just like stopped like you're replying to a text or something and just start videoing the office Mm -hmm. and then did that way. I should have just taken a smoke break out in front of her office. Yeah. And then like. Just you make it lean so against her you make door it frame. so obvious that it's like he can't be doing what I think he's doing, <laughs> right? That's how you do it in plain sight. Hide in plain sight. So that is the story of my coworker. Part one. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is just the uh, prologue. Sure. Of an unfolding saga. So she only works in the office a couple days out of the week? A couple days out of the week, and then she has another office across campus. She's at the rest of the time. Is she like a big shot, or is she like a intern? That seems like a weird setup. It's a weird setup. She basically works for another department, but is a liaison to, our, to the College of Sciences where I work. Mm-hmm. So, divides her time. I had a... I had a thing like that happen to me, which was much more embarrassing. Uh, Were you trying to catch somebody not washing their hands at work in a bathroom? <laughs> no. That's the next thing that I really, it it bothers me how many people, and I work at a university, right. in the College of Sciences, how few people wash their hands. Yeah. We have two offenders, big time offenders. In where I work. Number one, stall pissers. We've talked about those people. Mm -hmm. I think they're 
pathological. I think they have a psychological disease. You're talking about walking into a closed stall and peeing in there instead yes. of peeing at a urinal. Yes. I'm down. I'm down with that. You're down I'm, with I'm what? I'm all about walking into a stall and no, peeing in the stall. Yes, I am. No, you're not because we're friends. It's not as messy. There's no way that we could have gotten this far in our friendship and you're a stall pisser. Listen, a stall is for a specific action. If there's no one else By, in the bathroom, who cares? Because that is a public toilet that people sit on. You are now spraying your I lift urine. the seat up. What do you think? I'm 12 years old? I lift the seat up. You are probably in the bottom 3% of stall pissers who bother. To, and do you lift up with your dirty shoe? Yeah, I lift okay. it up by the bottom. I don't lift it up by the top. Do you put your ass on the bottom of the uh, seat? No, but somebody has to touch it to bring it back down. Well, boo-hoo. You wash your hands anyways. There is a entire invented, almost what, what I want to call it, a machine. Machine. Invented for you to piss in. Yeah, and it's it's super messy. It's you called get a urinal. pee all over your pants. You do. And your shoes. Not me. Okay. I don't know how that works. Well, I have a few theories about why you're having problems, but we won't get into it (laughs) on air. Okay. So, stall pissers and non-hand washers. And maybe I want a little bit more privacy than just basically standing in front of a wall and peeing on a wall. Yeah, because everybody wants to see what you're doing. I'm just saying, maybe I want a little bit more security. So I know I'm not going to be stabbed in the back by some <laughs> crazy person listening to 20s era swing music. <laughs> she couldn't get into my bathroom. She's not allowed. Not if the liberals have anything to do about it. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. Last thing I want to say. <clears throat> no politics, right? This is politics-free zone. We don't talk politics on this show. Ever. And I don't want to break that streak. Okay. No politics. <laughs> okay. Ever. All right. But the, the streak of 14 minutes? Is that what you're talking exactly. about? Okay. We've got a really good okay. streak going. I'm going to break it right now. I do blame the just the political cloud around us in this modern age uh-huh. for making me as paranoid at work as I was. If... I wasn't made aware that I am in close proximity to maybe, um, well, not a majority, but to people who have just the most insane, absurd beliefs. Mm-hmm. Then maybe I wouldn't be so paranoid about a coworker listening to like 20s and 30s, like revival music. Right. Um, but because of our political climate, I'm extra jumpy and paranoid of everybody yeah. who's surrounding me. Yeah. Nice. No, I, I can see that. But listen, I won't turn into a stall pisser out of fear, Justin. I won't cave. I'm just saying, look at your pants after you pee in a urinal. There is pee everywhere. Just watch where the pee goes as you're peeing. It splashes everywhere. Look at your I shoes. Do. Look I at do. the floor underneath the urinal. I do. It's not from people missing things. the urinal. It's from splashing in the urinal. Which is why I don't splash. It's, I pay attention. I mean, it just is, is not, it's, it's not possible. Unless you have control over the like aerodynamics of your 
people not who, even pee of the splash people like you can't who, even control that people who suffer from a certain endowment uh-huh. might have <laughs> sure, an issue okay. but other people okay. whose endowment uh-huh. is more than sufficient do not have okay. well, certain we, we've problems. obviously reached the end of this conversation <laughs> Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to create a name. I am actually regretting. I'm embarrassed about something I, I'm i still living with today. First, can I say I'm sweating bullets over here, not falling back on my verbal tics. I hope it's appreciated. Mm-hmm. And we'll be checking in throughout this episode on how I'm doing. Sure. I might just give like five minutes of all my cliches at the end just to get it out, like right, building it up. Anyway, I got Monster Hunter. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And they have a character creator. Mm-hmm. So I'm creating the character. And then, of course, it's like name your character. This is where I I always feel weird naming it after myself. I just don't doesn't appeal to me. Uh huh. You didn't really want to take uh, old Keith out into the magical world of Monster Hunter. Keith is happy where he's at. He doesn't want to go in a fantasy land. Keith the Dragon Slayer. Keith the Dragon Slayer. Also, my name doesn't like uh, translate well. Right. Sure. So I also feel weird pressure when it comes to naming characters in games. So I thought it would be funny because there is an online aspect to this game. If I gave him like a name that's easy to misunderstand, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't want to be too obvious with it. I don't want it to be like penis, (laughs) like a hidden penis word in there. Sure. So I ended up naming him Bog Lover, like all one word, because mm-hmm. it's a fantasy world too. So this name shows up independent of your gamer tag. Yes. Okay. In game. And it, so then it also has to be unique. Yes. That's interesting. So I name him Bog Lover, mm-hmm. thinking the backstory is it's actually Boglover, but. Written out, it just looks like. Is it, so is Bo Glover just supposed to be a proper name? Right. So it's like, but it's B-O-G-L-O-V-E-R. Right. So he is a bog lover, a lover of bogs, but also in his mind, he's Bo Glover. He's not a bog lover. Uh-huh. But everyone who reads his name is going to, you know, assume that. Sure. You also have a cat counterpart who I named Trashfire. Mm-hmm. Thinking, like, again, misunderstanding where my guy comes from. Trash fires are actually like useful and helpful and they don't have negative connotations. Maybe trash isn't. I don't know the backstory. Right. I sure. just know it's Trash Fire and Boglo. There's no environmental sciences where you're from. Exactly. There's no, and now he's been thrust into a world where all these other people are coming from different backgrounds, but they all agree. 
that his name means this thing and that trash fire is a terrible name for Mm -hmm. his uh, friend. Sure. Cat friend. Immediately when I started my game, I I regretted Mm -hmm. it. When I played with Chris, I (laughs) gave a half-hearted attempt at a backstory and quickly gave it up. Indy saw it and made fun of me. Wow. Like just horrifically and accurately. I deserved it. I don't know if I'd been drinking. I don't know. I don't know. I have no explanation. But this is a game that you don't just stop playing. Once you get through the beginning of it, you don't want to do the beginning again. And you can't change the name. No. I need to go back and try very hard now to see. Like, I don't care. It's to the point where if the game is like, give us $10 to change your name, Mm -hmm. I might do it. Mm-hmm. But then my fear is I'm so bad with these names. You'll just things, end up with another bad name. I'll just end up. I'll just justify another terrible name. Right. Is the game fun though? It is fun, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of game, and you basically go out and slay a monster, and that monster attack can be on some on most missions you're you're given a time limit of 50 minutes oh really so if you don't defeat this thing in 50 minutes it just minutes, runs away you you fail it seems a little arbitrary i mean they should at least just make it like run away or something yeah and so then you have to restart it again yeah so one of your critiques when we played pubg well, same thing with chris oh right is you'll devote you know 20 minutes to a to a PUBG game yeah the shooter game and then somebody will just like be laying in a field and you'll just step <laughs> out from behind a tree and they'll shoot you and right. your whole game's over yeah. the 20 minutes of collecting resources and being careful is then done and you're left being like do we start again do we yeah. just end it and monster hunter has kind of the same issue where you can give 50 minutes to the game and end up with just the resources you've gathered from those 50 minutes and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then you gotta go back in and do it again. But the game itself so far has been, been fun. It hasn't been like obsessive. I still would rather play PUBG over monster hunter. Mm-hmm. Especially part of it is probably my name in the game. If I'm honest, sure. if I'm honest, I, are there I'm even bogs in the game? No, that's the other thing. I mean, listen, it made sense at the time and ended up being too clever mm-hmm. by half. Sure. I was on the right idea. Well, says you. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I watched. Well, can, can you hold on before you breeze past that? No, I have. Uh, I'm, I, I'm just as Mr. Bad. Ivory Tower. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm just as bad. Exactly. So I would have just gone with my gamer tag. Or I would have. I would have come up with something better than Boglover. I'm not going <laughs> Listen, to prove that in any way. That's a low bar. I'm, I'm going to take that hit. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Uh, cause you're, you're right. I, I, I mean, immediately in my head, I was like, I should just name myself like Madame Bovey. I should just name myself after like classic French literature and just moved on with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. 
I watched uh, Super Dark Times today. Have you watched that? Yes. I love it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I thought it was good. I liked it. I think it was great. I didn't love it. Mm. But I thought it was good. It's another one of those movies. Uh, uh, what? Whatever movie we were just talking about. Oh, The Ritual. The Ritual? Where it... L- it's like this. You can tell this guy like really knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It looks really well. The the or it kids looks really are good. All the acting is really good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't think the like. I guess the story was that great. But I liked it. Yeah, it kind of. For me, I went in thinking this is going to be like a Stranger Things. Oh really? Riff kids in the 80s i don't know what else i i really didn't know much about it which i guess is one what made you watch that i saw it on uh reddit a while ago that and it was just was like someone was like can anyone recommend a movie like super dark times about you know like something goes wrong loss of innocence stuff and I saw people were saying some good stuff about it, so I just added it to my list. And then today when the girls took a nap, I just watched it. Yeah, so I, I think it is definitely, it lives up to its title. It is very dark. Yeah. I thought the acting was amazing in it. And I do like when films try to play off different genres. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really hard to do. And when it's done well, I think it's really interest, interesting and exciting. I think Super Dark Times did that really well. So it does kind of pivot a few different times from almost like coming of age to horror movie to thriller. Yeah. The end is pretty much just a straight up thriller. Yeah. I, I was actually uh, at the when... Uh when the when the main kid is like running up to the girl's house and you don't know what's in the house mm-hmm. i my heart started beating <laughs> yeah. like faster yeah like it was pretty it was pretty intense uh i just felt like it didn't really i just felt like it i i, I felt like you didn't get enough I, I mean i guess the story is about the kid that it focuses on which i wish i could remember his name uh, is either Josh was the other kid, but you don't ever. Josh is the kid that like commits the crime, right? And he's the one that has the biggest sort of transformation, but you don't get to see any of it, right? He's just after sort of the uh, after the event, you're just left with the other kid for the for the entire time, so you don't get to see. And he's the Josh is the um, one of the kids from uh, Ozark. Mm-hmm. I never finished that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't care for it. So, yeah. So I, it's one of those movies that I've really liked, but I haven't been able to find a time to rewatch with Elise. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that you're like, uh, it could go either way, you know, when yeah, you're showing it to somebody. It, yeah, it's probably kind of a. It's not like exactly like a hey, let's sit down and watch this movie. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. It is a little tough. Uh, 
I'm interested in what he does next. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like there's also a lot of stuff in there that you could probably pick up on the second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he put a lot of little stuff like that in there. Like, there's definitely a lot of uh, thought put into it. So I appreciated that. I don't know. For some reason, it's just this. It just didn't really land for me. I I agree that there's something missing, but overall, I really liked what he tried to do, and I think he mostly succeeded. And like you said, it definitely has moments. I mean, from when the bad thing happened, the way that that's all filmed. Yeah. Oh yeah. That up. whole sequence too was like as soon as, <laughs> as soon as um. As soon as that whole sequence started with like the chopping of the milk carton, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This something really bad is going to happen. And I don't think I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to see what's about to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, parts of it, I think maybe that's the thing is parts of it work super well. Yeah. And then some parts just don't work as well. And it just makes those parts kind of stand out a little more. Yeah. But yeah, when he's running up to the house, that scene, and then just the the dynamic of the kids together with mm-hmm. the big kid and his sort, mm-hmm. just that big kid in general, how he interacted with the other friends, yeah, was just really strong. Really, yeah, good. yeah. It's all it's all pretty relatable, I think, if you're coming from that background at yeah. least. Yeah, the, all of that is played really well. The 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 boys' relationship and sort of how they joke around and stuff like that. Um. Yeah, so I liked it. I was, I was. I'm glad I watched it. All right. Do you want to uh, talk about Annihilation? Sure. Well, one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about as well, and I wonder if we should talk about it first, just in case somebody hasn't seen Annihilation and wants to skip that part. Okay. I wanted to like because I was thinking about science fiction as a genre. Mm-hmm. Do you like science fiction generally? Sure. Does it stand out to you more than other genres? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I, I think it's probably a little bit harder to define than other genres. Like when you asked to make a list of your favorite science fiction movies, I could think of like three. I, 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 my first thought is that science fiction as a genre is supposed to, I guess more than other genres, it's supposed to be, uh, have at least an undercurrent of like social commentary. Mm -hmm. But then when I was thinking of my favorite science fiction movies, I could not think of any that had any sort of social commentary, at least that popped into my mind. (laughs) So then I did a, like a Google search of like what are the best science fiction movies and then stuff was coming up like Terminator 2 which I love Terminator 2 that is an amazing movie but I don't know if I would necess- I I just don't when I thought of science fiction Terminator 2 did not jump into my head you know what I mean Mhm So I uh abandoned any uh, effort whatsoever to make a science fiction list but the movies that came into my head were like alien right which is science fiction also could be a horror movie i guess mm-hmm. the thing which is 
probably more horror movie than science fiction, but I think you could wedge it in there. Uh, Blade Runner, which the has some very obvious social commentary to it. But, like, that was it. In terms of, like, my f- favorite social or sci- science fiction movies. Right. Well, I think you're right that science fiction is very broad. When I was thinking about it, I was like, you could make a case that Groundhog Primer. Day is a science fiction film. Yeah. Which I think that that's absurd. Um, so I, I left that off. But, you know, there's some sort of time travel. Yeah, that's or, a little bit like uh, people who say Die Hard's my favorite Christmas movie. Exactly. Like, okay. You're All trying, right. you're yeah, trying a little it. too hard. We get it. The, the one thing that stood out for me when I was looking at the science fiction films I started, and I'm always looking to do a list. So yeah. part of why I asked you that is because it gave me a reason to jump in Letterboxd. Sure, yeah. So I figured you and could just give your list fiction. and then I'll uh, shit on it however I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the one thing that I realized putting the list together, I don't think that there's a genre that kind of shifts more wildly from being the most optimistic outlook for our future and the most dystopian. It's like science fiction. There's no kind of middle ground. Yeah. It's either we are screwed and, you know, robots or aliens are going to kill us and destroy us. Yeah. Or a virus is going to take us out or something. Or it's like we couldn't be headed for a bet on a better path than Mm -hmm. we are. Um, which is kind of the case of my number one science fiction film. So you're starting at in number my list. one, as in the best? Well, yeah, for or me. Or this is no particular order. I kind of did it as no particular order, but then it got too long. I'm right. not going to read the whole list. Sure. It got too long, and so I found that I had to do numbers so I could just move things around easier. Mm-hmm. But I would probably say up there is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Okay. Which is basically saying... We're all going to be star children Mm -hmm. and evolve. Like we've reached the heights of our physical evolution. Now we're doing a spiritual evolution, which is obviously not true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think that that is like, that's an example of like the most hopeful uh, outlook for humanity. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that is right up there. Sure. Do you agree with that one? You'd give me that one? Uh, I mean, probably not at number two. But yeah, I liked Eternal Sunshine. Children of Men. I didn't like Children of Men. You didn't like Children of Men? Nope. Why? I didn't like it. It sucks. It's a bad movie. Suck. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I did not like it. When did it come out? Why would that matter? 2006. Okay. So it's been 12 years since I've seen Children of Men. I have no idea why I didn't like it, Can you but I did it? not like it. Can you no, rewatch I, it? I will not rewatch it. I barely squeezed in super dark times. I'm I'm in no position to rewatch <laughs> no a position. movie that I didn't like. <laughs> Alien. Yeah, Alien's great. But like is there is there like a deeper meaning to Alien? I mean, maybe. Well, 
I would say Alien just a great alien movie? No, I think that there is more going on there when you look at the robot. And you see this in future alien mm-hmm. films in the franchise where basically you're you're dealing with this idea of AI being programmed to do what's best for whatever, mm-hmm. quote unquote, the mission or what is designed to do and not necessarily working for the good of the crew. You know, a, an AI would have no problem destroying itself or others for the good of the mission. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think it has something to say about that. I think it's also interesting just to see Alien as a evolution of effects. It's meaningful in that way and probably for kind of this female-driven um, film, like action film. Yeah. So I think it's meaningful in those ways, but no, it's probably not something I go to to kind of learn how to be a better right. human. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah, so that's another one of those things where it's like, I get that that's science fiction, but when someone says science fiction movies, I would never think of Jurassic Park. Yeah, see, I would, and I almost would leave it off just because it's so obvious. Jurassic Park and well, Star Wars, of course. Yeah, Star but Wars Jurassic Park is great. That's why it's so it obvious. Great. And Star Wars stinks. So it that's you not as obvious. <laughs> you haven't even seen Star Wars. <laughs> Minority Report. Uh, I... I think um, I liked it when it came out, but I think it's it's hard to swallow any sort of Tom Cruise See, anything at this point. Yeah, you have a Tom Cruise thing. I, How can you not have a Tom Cruise thing? I don't. Well, we also differ on that, too. So. Mm-hmm. The Matrix. Okay. Wait a minute. Just the first one? Just the first one. It, the first down. one doesn't take a hit because of the last, the second, the standalone the two and three. It's great. <clears throat> okay. Back to the future two. But again, well, I guess. Yeah. But those are like, but again, yeah. Like the, um, I think back to the future two gets a bad rap. Doesn't it? Like people dog on that, but I love the second one. Yeah. No, the second one's better than the first one. Um, but again, is there like, I guess there probably is some sort of message to that. Uh, yeah, don't kiss your mom. <laughs> sure. I still think about the, that sp- I think about the sports almanac from Back to the Future every oh. single day of my life. I think about <laughs> so having that I. and being a millionaire every, literally every single day of my life. I, you are absolutely I, I wonder if that's like a generational thing. How could you watch that and not become obsessed with this idea of having a sports almanac and being able to predict every sports right. event? Yeah. That is, yes, that's amazing. I am obsessed with that idea too. Now it's all now Quidditch it's n- oh, okay. and broomsticks, sorting hats. All right. I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. AI. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? AI? That movie is garbage. That movie stinks. I can't believe you have AI on there. That is a 
<laughs> that is a AI is getting bumped up. That the is list. a meme. No. You're you're crazy. Talk about having something to say. That doesn't that doesn't outweigh a bad movie. Donnie Darko. <clears throat> okay. Now we're back on board. I like Donnie Darko. Um Back to the Future One. Inception. The thing. Yeah, I love the thing. All right. Uh wrapping it up here. These are the ones I feel very most strongly about. Solaris, the first one. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. How is uh, Blade Runner not on your list yet? You know what? I'm not, it's on here. I'm not a huge fan of Blade Runner. We just rewatched it before we saw the 2049. Mm-hmm. It's great. I, I am the first a big, one is. I'm a bigger fan of 2049. It's great. You should just delete that so, list. <laughs> Sunshine. Nope. Sunshine is good for two. Th- the two. The first oh, two thirds great. are great, and the last third is. I'll dumb. go to bat for the last third. I know you will. Interstellar. That movie. Okay. Edge of Tomorrow. I liked Edge of Tomorrow a lot. That's it's a good so movie. good. Snowpiercer. Yeah, I like Snowpiercer. Mad Max Fury Road. That one I was like... Yeah, I wouldn't say that's science fiction. I, I have to say, I got that one off of a list that somebody else made. But even mm-hmm. putting in, I felt kind of bad about it. I was like, that's not science fiction, yeah. really. Enemy. And Fury Road is not that great after you've seen it the first time. I've seen it twice. I liked it both times. I liked it the second time, too. The first time I saw it, I loved it. Mm-hmm. The second time I saw it, I thought, that's a good movie. Enemy. Yep, I liked Enemy a lot. Uh, the Host. Is that science fiction? I guess it is. Yeah. The Host. <sighs> then comes Primer. Primer is, uh, for me, another example of, like, it's a great, obvious science fiction movie, but I don't know, like, what is the... What's the message to Primer? Or is it just a... Is it just so well constructed that it's... Oh, I think that there's something in the construction. I think there's also something in the drive of what he does and what he'll do to accomplish it and how his goals shift Mm -hmm. and change till the end where he's basically like, we are building a bigger one and I'm going to mess stuff up moving forward. Like, we're really going to... So I think there's something about that, about this guy becoming just drunk on his own power. and Sure. <clears throat> okay. So I think this is a good transition. Aliens. And then on my list comes Annihilation. What? Annihilation is on your list of best sci-fi films of all time? Yeah. I mean, after that, we've got Gravity, Under the Skin, The Abyss, Arrival, 12 Monkeys. Under the Skin is better than half the movies on your list <laughs> it's on there isn't it well it's better than yeah it's you know what, you it should seen, not have been a oh yeah this is on here <laughs> you haven't seen half the movies on my list <clears throat> oh cabin in the woods is that science fiction no and that's a that horror, horror movie right 
Yeah. The one I love, her. Coherence is getting... Her is good, yep. Coherence is getting better in my mind. Mm-hmm. I rewatched that not too long ago and loved it. I also tried to put some like bad science fiction at the bottom. Because what I realized is it's hard to think of bad science fiction for me. Like it's easy for me to say like what's some good science fiction, but what's what's like truly terrible science fiction? And I found myself stumped, and I was like, "Well, Battlefield Earth is the, like the go-to, right?" Yeah, I almost said that's like fantasy. Star Wars, <laughs> The Happening, I came up with The Happening, Moon, by which people I liked. Love. I thought Moon was good. I did not. I actually. Actively, I don't know if I ever watched it then. And I tried to watch some of Mute. What was his first movie? Was Moon his first movie? Um, his first movie was good, whatever it was. Yeah, Duncan Jones, right? Right. No, yeah, his first movie. No, he did Moon and then Source Code. Did he do another one with Sam Rockwell? Moon is good. If that's his first movie, Moon is good. I did not like it. Yeah, Moon. Wow, I'm surprised by that. Then I'm surprised a movie exists that I like that you don't. Well, I guess I'm not, but... I mean, it's bound to happen. If, if we just start yeah. listing enough movies, we're bound to hit on one. I remember liking Moon. I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah, I feel like I'll rewatch Moon and you'll rewatch Children of Men. Moon is about him being on, he's like a miner on the moon, right? And then another one of him shows up. Okay, so Annihilation. Uh, Are you trying to make the noise? Uh. <laughs> um, you liked it a lot, enough to go on your list of all-time greats. Yeah, all-time greats after, what did I list? Under the Skin? Not enough. So what did you like about it so much? I mean, on a... Uh, I mean, I liked a lot about it. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I thought it was a well kind of structured shot film. I found it enjoyable all the way through. I think I went in a little nervous because a lot of critics that I like were kind of saying, like, audiences are going to hate it. They're going to hate it. And I was waiting for either something that was more contemplative and slow or something that ended ambiguously and what i got was a really kind of exciting thriller for the first half where people are getting killed and turning into bushes what a sicko <laughs> you just love it when people are getting killed huh? love it uh, especially that that viscerally and creatively yeah um so no, I, I thought that it was exciting. I was tense. And then at the ending, he actually goes for it. He actually kind of 
gives does you. Does he though? I think he does. I, I think, don't think he does. In the same way that I, I kept thinking, obviously, I think Stanley Kubrick does it better, but I kept imagining what people around Stanley Kubrick, including producers or whatever, thought when he started to make the last 20 minutes of 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. where it's basically just like colors and a guy's face and like a projection screen being put against his face. I just have to think that people were looking and being like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Like, this is, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I just like the fact that with the ending, he tried something that I think similarly people were probably watching being like, well, I think they did Paramount sold. I think it was Paramount or whoever dis- was distributing this movie got cold feet and sold a bunch of the movie to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Cause they looked at it and they were just like, this is terrible. People are going to hate it. And they tried to <clears throat> try to dump it by, I appreciate what he did. I didn't find it too ambiguous for me. Um, I thought I still got the ideas he was trying to put across Mm -hmm. and he did it in basically a 10 minute interpretive dance at the end of his film. Yeah. Uh, I would say the, the whole ending sequence is not ambiguous at all, especially given the theme of the movie. So you you felt it was too on the nose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole movie they're talking about self self destruction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing you could say is ambiguous is the moment in the caves with the whatever you want to however you want to describe it. After that, it becomes oh. a a literal display of self destruction. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get more literal than that. It doesn't mm-hmm. get less ambiguous than what happens after what, that. What I find funny is you've read the book. Uh-huh. And your feelings on the book was that maybe it was too obtuse. Well, <clears throat> what I would say yeah, I I would say as I liked the movie as an alien invasion movie. I liked it. Mm-hmm. As an exploration of self-destruction, I think that there's nothing explored. I think the idea is introduced and it's not explored at all. It's not like commented on. It's not, there's no insight to the topic. And I feel like the end is kind of a concession to the worries of mainstream appeal because the actual the like ending ending of the, the movie ending ending right is a is something you've seen a million times in a million different mm-hmm. movies and that to me really felt like a where we we're desperate to avoid people walking out of we this movie give being something. like what did i just watch right we right? gotta give them something <clears throat> but the to me I have the same, I have similar issues with the book as I do with the movie. Like I said, I liked in the movie and in the book, I liked the alien invasion story uh, start to finish. Well, in the movie, that ending sequence is pretty hokey. It's kind of hard to get behind for me. But 
the problem I had with the book is not that I felt like it was too ambiguous. It's that I feel like something is there and I'm just not smart enough to figure out what he's Mm -hmm. saying. Whereas with Annihilation, I know what's there and I just don't think it goes any deeper than a cursory sort of like, yeah, I wanted the movie to be about self-destruction. But I don't think he says anything about that. Like, I I don't feel like there was any takeaway from it or any insight provided on self-destruction. So that, to me, that would keep it from... I mean, that and that whole ending sequence, which people in our theater laughed at, I will say, Mm -hmm. keeps it from being, like, great. So I think the one thing that that rescued the dance scene for me at the end was the was the sound design then he said it almost sounds like they took the inception like and played in reverse it was a really weird kind of drone sound but everything sounded like it was in reverse and I think that you know it it builds where you have what happens to the leader of the expedition, the lady who has cancer, the psychologist, psychologist Jennifer she, Jason Lee, who is not great in the movie, where she like kind of turns into the this portal almost, mm-hmm. not that you could travel through her, but you could see through her, see in her, you know this other dimension where the thing maybe came from or mm-hmm. what it is giving it shape. And that becomes this alternative being that then mimics her and slowly becomes her. And I took that as, so on the one hand, I think you're right with the analysis that as an exploration of annihilation, self annihilation is pre on the no- uh, on the nose. You, you see the psychological and physical impacts that these people are suffering, whether it's the um, lady who cuts herself and hides it, soon comes to accept it mm-hmm. and give herself over to it, or you have the person who becomes paranoid and self-sabotages that, you know, them, themselves mm-hmm. and their own success. Um you can kind of tie these things in. I, I also saw a review where somebody said like the psychologist almost, it's like they, they're able to almost look into the, the, the cancer cell. It's almost like they become the cancer cell. It just takes, takes them over and becomes a new, a new entity, which is what Natalie Portman says is happening in the shimmer. It's not that it's annihilating things. She says, is that it's creating something new. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think on the annihilation aspect, you're, you're, you're right. But on the alien invasion, it made me think at the end that this life form was searching for something that it could not, that it did not have yet. As it expanded its borders, it was experiencing more animal and plant life. But animal and plant life can't, 
can't experience a connection that two humans could. So it finds Oscar Isaac and Oscar Isaac ends by saying, find Lena right before he kills himself. Mm -hmm. And then the other beings like, yes, I will. Mm -hmm. And then when it finds Lena, I think what it's trying to do at first in the dance is get its physicality down. Well, no, I get that. Yeah. But then I think when it pushes her against the wall, I think it's trying to meld the emotions of her. Uh It's trying to get that. And in the end, I felt like it, you know, the being, the alien gave up its search because it found what it was looking for in the universe, which is what two humans can experience together. Right. And now that is what either it's going, I I think it's still going to destroy. I don't think that's just going to like live a quiet life together, you know, as a couple. Sure. But I think that that's what it's saying as well. Um, I think it's commenting on human relationships and those bonds that humans can experience that other beings or, you know, animals, plants can't, can't understand it, can't access. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did you see that too as a, as another layer of commentary or am I reading too far into it? Uh, well, I think the book probably ruins that commentary for me because I have a, at least what I assumed was the purpose behind it already in my head from what I read in the book. But I think the problem, first of all, one of the, 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 the that whole, the whole sequence just pra- like y- you can talk about the themes behind it and that's fine. But the, the practicality, the actual viewing experience <laughs> That sequence is just really corny. It, like it's just the visual effects are great, the sound design is great, but the like the choreography, not even the choreography, just the core concept is just wackadoo. It just is <laughs> goofy, <laughs> right? I mean, like I said, it's goofy enough that people giggled in our theater at one specific moment. And the problem I have with it is the whole thing is sort of, I feel like the whole thing is sort of designed to, <coughs> I don't know. The The problem I have with it is easily explained by saying, well, the, the, uh, you're getting this story told to you through the clone's perspective, right? Which I also mm-hmm. didn't care for the framing of okay i didn't like how that framed the entire she's movie. being interviewed right mm-hmm. yes and it just occasionally cuts back to i just something just felt off about that so you can say well yes all of the, the that last sequence of events doesn't make sense because from her telling of it the real natalie portman makes it out of the movie right uh, but the clone is telling the story, so of course she's not going to tell them, right? But then why am I, if, if the entire thing I'm watching is a lie, why am I, why am I watching the movie? So that is just, it feels a little like disingenuous, I guess. It just feels a little off uh, the way that whole thing is set up. To me, this is me totally reading into it. 
it almost made me feel like that was the studio's note. Like we need somebody to walk us through your narrative. So you need to have her like being interviewed and we can kind of jump out of it. And BD Wong, the guy interviewing her can comment on what happened just to give us a little bit of insight. Yeah. So I agree with you on that. It definitely, and it felt like that's easy to reshoot. It's easy to say like, get Natalie Portman in here in one day. We'll just film all of her interrogation scenes mm-hmm. and just slot it in as we need it. So I'd, I'd probably agree with that. That felt a little, ta- a little tacked on. Right. And I watched uh, talks at Google that Alex Garland did today. It's like this 30 minute long sit down he does, which to be honest, was pretty tough to get through because he is very serious and he's very like, <laughs> it's just hard to describe, but he's like one of these people that's like, no matter how you ask a question or no matter what insight or way you approach him, you are wrong. You don't understand and let me correct you. You know what I mean? Not right. in like an, in like an aggressive way, but in a very like pretentious kind of way. But anyways, he when someone asked him about um, adapting the book for the movie, he was like, well, when I read the book, it gives you this very dream, dream-like feeling. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so somebody, <laughs> somebody sent it to me to like while I was making Ex Machina. And I read the book and then eventually I, when I sat down to write the screenplay, I decided because the book had such a dreamlike quality that I wasn't going to reread it again. And I was just going to write the screenplay based <laughs> on my memory. And it would just kind of be like a commentary on the memory. It's like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now watching the movie because <clears throat> you're talking about like how ambiguous it is, uh, like what the purpose of these things trying to get out of the area are. And that is also, it's ambiguous in the book, but you're able to draw some pretty definitive conclusions from reading the book. And it's, it's easier to understand than just kind of like, maybe this is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it, it really does re it watching the movie. It really does play like, um, okay, this is like a kid who like read something a couple weeks ago and now you're just like asking him to give it back to you, like paraphrase it. <laughs> right. And like some of this stuff is obviously really wrong, but he's got the general idea of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So he basically did like a C paper on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Clearly, this guy read most of this book. Right. Which is, I remember. Yeah, which is fine. Like I said, I liked it as just a straight up like alien invasion, like entertaining science fiction movie. I liked it. Um, the the tension and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the way it looks is really great. But it loses all of the stuff from the book that makes it interesting, that made me read all three books a second time. Um, and made that those readings feel like somewhat rewarding, right? right? Like I said, I still am not sure what the deeper themes are, but like I can definitively definitively say the way that the book handles the caves and all of that stuff is 
10 times better and 10 times more interesting. Um, but also like literally impossible to like do in a movie. It just, you just wouldn't be able to do it. So. So do you feel like this isn't even subject to like what's better, the book or the film? It's almost like two separate. Yeah. They're pretty different. So would you recommend that I go back and read the book now? Do you think that would get, I almost feel satisfied with this whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, based on what you've said about the book and what I watched, it sounds like the book doesn't really provide, does it, does it provide you more things to concrete questions to pursue? Yeah, or? no, the book, the, the stuff that I like more about the book is, is just it has more interesting features than than the movie. As as like sort of out there as the movie is, it's pretty it's still kind of a pretty straightforward thriller. Right. That's right? why I and thought, the book yeah. is not like that at all. The okay. book is it's more of a it's more of like a like a like a puzzle that you solve by time traveling kind of. <laughs> right? Like you read the first book and then you start like piecing stuff together from the second and third books. And then all this other stuff starts making sense. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to bring up that, that wasn't really in this film, it was a little bit in this film, but something that I find interesting in science fiction movies. Um, so you have on this team, you have the psychologist, she is the biologist, Nellie Portman. Mm-hmm. And then you have, um, you know, the military. The paramedic. Pa- yeah, the paramedic. Mm. And <clears throat> so at various points, Nellie Portman is looking under the microscope at the cells. Mm-hmm. She takes her blood. She's looking at different things that they're finding and analyzing, looking at the cells. And... She doesn't really draw a lot of conclusions on it, you know, early on. There's a part of me, though, that felt like as soon as I saw the sh- or walked into the shimmer, I'm not letting anything touch my body. I'm uh-huh. not going in any water and letting the water touch yeah. my body. Um, and now I think it works in this film because it is about self-annihilation. These are, these are women who all, in, to various degrees, want to self-destruct so i kind of get the idea that they wouldn't go in with hazmat suits and all this other right stuff that they are kind of on when welcoming a, a suicide mission but i also couldn't help but think of other science fiction films where you see the scientist just like looking at the data looking at the data looking at the data and drawing no conclusions <laughs> or like not get not even entertaining the idea of what is actually happening. Uh-huh. Like it's not like, oh, it's attacking our cellular structure. Right. We need to get out of here. She's just still looking under the microscope. But like, are you at this point? Are you confirming what you're are you literally like throwing your hands up? Like there's one scene where she's like push. She looks at her blood. And she pushes the thing away. And I wanted to be like, yeah, this is the second time you looked at it. Uh, to me, it seems like you would you would kind of assume like 
Yeah. I've been tainted by this now. Right. There's no, I know cells. I don't know cells. I'm in the audience. I'm an idiot. And I'm like, you, you all have it. Right. Whatever's in the shimmer, you have it. Yeah. So it, to me, it's like, I, I just love that where like, and, and is it because I know like I'm going in, it's like, I'm going to watch a science fiction movie. So for me, it's so much easier to be like, oh, it's aliens. And then meanwhile, the people in the movie are like running around like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And you're singing the audience and you're like, yeah, guys, just accept that time travel is real or just accept that aliens exist. Yeah. And let's move on. But you're like in real life. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't be so quick to accept these realities, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even <clears throat> in the movie, it's like it's easy to say it's aliens, but there are no actual aliens in the movie. Right. It's. In the in the movie, I guess it's a comet that lands at the lighthouse, mm-hmm. right? And then, I mean, I think the my assumption based on the book is that it's kind of like a, a virus or some just sort of like microscopic organism that's transforming the area, alien organism that's transforming the alien the area, but it's never like you know, little green men running around or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it goes back to like the age old question of like, if there's a zombie outbreak, would I remember that I've watched a hundred zombie movies and just be like, Oh, this is a zombie outbreak. This is what we need to do. Or this is like myself in the basement. Don't lock myself in the basement. Like how much of that would be kind of ingrained in me and how much of me would be like, there's zombies. I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't even accept the fact that there are zombies. Yeah. But it's like, you know, at this point, I'd be like, I'm looking for alien life form in anything. You know, yeah. if, if there's a plant that looks weird, I might be thinking that's an alien. It wants to kill me. I wouldn't be like stomping around, be like, let's go in the shimmer. Yeah. Um, or, or like in the shimmer, once you saw plant forms kind of co-mingling and growing together, like the first thing that she sees is a bunch of flowers growing from the same stem, mm-hmm. but each flower is different. Right. She's like, it's like it's taking all these different, you know, flowers and putting them together. As soon as I saw that, I'd be like, oh, that's what happened to the five other teams that went in here. Like this thing melded them together. And I think that I would walk out of there and be like, I figured it out, guys. I know exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's. It's, it's not a criticism of the film because yeah. the, the film's not saying that. But it's just that kind of arrogance of the, of the audience. Yeah. Uh, did you see that there uh, apparently was an alternate ending that came out from the slash film got like a script, the original script or something? What is it? I couldn't. The All I read is that it's more ambiguous, the ending, and that it ends with, um, I guess, when... Uh, I don't know if like Lena and Kane, if they find themselves or each other in the zone, in the area or whatever, or if he's it's, in quarantine, 
Right. Or if it's the same reunion at the end, but at some point, like a bunch of meteors start falling to earth, like after they've found each other or whatever, Uh. which gives, I think is a little bit more ambiguous, but it also is a little bit more pointed at the same time. That sounds like an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, what was the deal with Oscar Isaac's voice? Huh. He what, had like a half-assed southern accent. Sometimes, <laughs> and other times he like on his final scene, he was real southern. Really? Yes. All and right. in the rest of the movie he was I mean, the rest of the movie he was mostly mumbling, so it was kind of hard to tell. <laughs> But right at the end, he got real Southern, Southern. which made me wonder, like, why either why is Oscar Isaac doing the Southern thing all of a sudden? Or if you were looking for like a Southern guy, why are you casting Oscar Isaac? Right. Right. Yeah. um, I didn't notice that. (laughs) I I definitely want to rewatch this movie. I don't know if I'll be able to see it in in a theater, but uh, I will pay close attention to his accent. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it. And honestly, I can't. The only thing that stood out to me about him is his huge shoulder tattoo. Yeah. I just feel like in any film where it's like someone's in the military, like, all right, pick out your one big tattoo because anyone in the military in a movie Mm -hmm. has one huge tattoo, at least one big one on their body. I'm like, where did that, trope come from yeah um how would you have felt if uh in the movie because one of the things he talked about during that um interview he did was giving the characters names Mm -hmm. because in the book nobody has a name they all just go by their titles so the biologist is the biologist and the psychiatrist is a psychiatrist but he didn't want to do that for whatever reason and i really liked it about the book I guess I get it because the movie's not exclusively about the area, whereas that's kind of how the book the book is framed. Like everything has to do about the so outside of the area, their lives don't really matter that much, so mm-hmm. they can just go by the biologist. <clears throat> but it was a little disappointing, and it's also a little weird because then it's like instead of like going into the story and being like, "Oh, this character's name is Lena," the entire time I'm thinking like. Why Lena? Like, <laughs> Why Lena? That seems like a strange, yeah, strange pick. No, yeah, I think it would it would be hard to get around if they just kept looking at each other and they were like, "Hey, biologist, get over here." Hey, biologist. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know that that rolls off the tongue as much as they. Yeah. Like, Listen, I'm Lena. Just call me Lena. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely puts more emphasis on like, so what names did you choose? It's like, right. Hey, Huxley, and you're like, oh man, what? And one one thing I wanted to get your opinion on is how do you feel about the these sort of um, justifications where so obviously the area X is supposed to be disorienting. So any sort of anomaly or anything that sort of sticks out can just be justified as oh, well, it's supposed to be disorienting. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that as like a, 
uh, I don't want to say excuse. Like a crutch? Not even a crutch, a but just crutch? like an explanation. Because like I could say like, what's the deal with his southern accent? But then someone could just be like, well. It's supposed to be disorienting. Right, it's in area, it's supposed to be disorienting, so it's like whatever. Or like it's in her. Or it's like, for me, like, a lot of people talking about how great the movie looked. And a lot of it looked fake, but like not in a fake way that like, I know that this is a area is being transformed and it's not supposed to look terrestrial, right? But it just looked like bad. But then it's like, well, the answer is, yeah, it's supposed to because you're in this foreign area and it's supposed to be disorienting. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's so subjective. Like, I didn't, the, the, the setting didn't stand out to me. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what did stand out to me. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's something in, and it might just be the performance, but I'm, I'm tired of the trope where somebody is being brought into a top secret mission or area and the way that they're onboarded is to be like thrown in an interrogation room or drug in this case drugged. Mm -hmm. Then somebody walks in with a file (laughs) and they're not giving any answers and they're just kind of like talking around the person or whatever. Right. I'm like, is this really how they would onboard somebody who basically big reveal is, Hey, you want to be part of our team? Yeah, you know? that was another kind of issue, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're just like, who plays this game of like, so you uh, mm-hmm. missing your husband, huh? And, and like, she just wants to ask questions. And then, of course, Natalie Portman's going to be like, I'm done answering your, what's going on. Yeah. And she's going to like just lean against a door frame and sigh. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what, you know, what school did you go to? To learn that, like, mm-hmm. interview technique. Well, also, you're sending in another crew to explore this area where, like, it's being changed on a fundamental level, and you're not bringing in a biologist or someone that understands, like, <laughs> that sort of organic structure. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one shows up, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess we can use you <laughs> alongside the psychiatrist and the paramedic. Right. Yeah, no, th- I mean, there's definitely that, but it, uh, what made me think about that is exactly what you're saying, where it's like, it's supposed to be disorienting. Like, right. You're, you're supposed to almost feel like they've tried everything at this point. They have no solutions. And so literally the top brass is like, who wants to go in there? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Like it's expanding. It's going to take over the world and we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I, you know, I think that, and again, the movie isn't really about that aspect of it. Wait, who signed off on this? Why are they sending four people in there? Mm-hmm. What is their plan for communication? It's like they go in there and they're like, the shimmer's blocking all comms. Well, you could check that one foot inside the shimmer. <laughs> you could just took a step and be like, Jack, hello? Yeah. And be like, oh, they can't hear us. Yeah. So like, why even bring the comms? But you know, again, I think it goes back to like what you're saying of it's not about that. It's about either disorienting you and then having you be like, these women are on a self-destructive mission. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's why they're here um and so i kind of accepted it on that level it's funny that he would use the word like dreamlike i think the film is kind of dreamlike Mm -hmm. it is doing flashbacks and kind of throwing these different storytelling uh methods at you to to kind of i think keep you off kilter but i think there's enough there that you know i think everybody in our crowd was with it probably until the end when it turns into a little bit of a dance recital Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I remember that there are gasps when she runs down into like the basement area of the lighthouse and then runs out once her friend turns into the glowing orb. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's still, I think it still works. I definitely want to see it again. I definitely want to, you know, kind of pay closer attention to the details of the film, but there are elements of that film that I definitely have still thought about. There's definitely elements that I think I dreamed about that night um, that I just found deeply unsettling. The bear and the bear attack I thought was done really well. Mm-hmm. And just the uh, the kind of tree people. And mm-hmm. that idea of one of the characters just kind of giving herself over to this thing I thought was just kind of haunting mm-hmm. in a in a really good way. Yeah. So uh if you have if you had to give this thing a star rating <coughs> like you've done with the ritual uh-huh. and whatever other movie And you- like I did with this one cuz yep, it goes on my 2018 list. Oh right. Yeah, so star rating and where's it at on your list so far? So so far uh, you you would hate my list mm-hmm. uh, this year. Um, so far it's third. Okay. Uh, it's sitting right now at four stars. Okay. Easily could go up to it could get that coveted four and a half. Four and a half. <laughs> uh huh. It's within striking distance. Sure. Um. Still, it's still within the half star honeymoon phase. Yeah, it's still on the. I'm sitting with it. I'm figuring it out. Right. The sound design is really sticking with me. Uh, certain aspects of the film. Um. So number one of the year so far is a uh is Paddington two. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Okay. Black Panther, right there, number two. Okay. Um. Annihilation and the ritual. Wow. That sounds like it's been a rough year for movies. If you that is what? your top four, it's been a really good year so far. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't have to get into it. Paddington two just hit me square between the eyes. Sure. I mean, I literally did not pay attention to a second of that movie. So and I that's can't fine. even, right. Yeah, and I that's, don't even and that's know what fine. So we don't even have to get into that. But you know, for me, that's actually it's a, that was a five star. That was a okay. that was a perfect uh, film. Sure. Um, the only thing I note that that I noticed about Paddington is that all of the humor, a lot of the humor, seemed to be centered around tough guys acting gay, basically. 
And I'm just curious how that sort of flies. No, it's it's a callback to the first one. Oh. I'll leave it at that. There's okay. one character in the first one who and he and he reprises his role in this and kind of uh does the same thing in a different way that kind of has some of those aspects. But no, the film is just a pure joy. Okay. I have I have no desire to talk. I, we've already talked about Paddington too too much. I really want to talk a lot more about it. I really <laughs> love that movie. Uh-huh. Well, maybe I can wrangle my uh, daughters down here, and you can do a bonus uh, elephant oh, draft. <laughs> I would. It would be thirty minutes, and I uh-huh. just keep prodding them. Right. Um. Yeah. So anyway, Annihilation four probably gonna probably gonna hit that four and a half. Okay. Well, I would ask you later on this week to listen to this conversation we just had and consider taking half a star away. <laughs> you wanted to go down to three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel like after I sit with it a little more, I, I might like it even better. Anything else before I turn this off? So, I think next week, semiosis. Well, I'm not going to read that book in a week. How long is it? Oh, I've already started it. Okay. Well, I'll have it tomorrow, but I'm still, I don't read that fast. It's 12 chapters. But how many pages? A lot. Okay, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, semiosis, not... Next, although from what I've read so far, it is a perfect tie-in. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it really grabs me, but I can't imagine reading something that quickly. I read slow. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, I'm trying to think what uh what we can talk about for next week, and if we need to um preview it. What's your, so really quick, I think anyone who listens really wants to know this. You don't have an I Xbox. I already disagree with the premise. You don't have an Xbox. Uh-huh. So what, you've said like Super Dark Times is something that you've devoted your time to today. Yeah. What gets your time? Like, do you have more time for TV shows or? Well, we've been watching The Office at night, but. Other than that, yeah, it's just like YouTube videos. Just <laughs> watch YouTube videos. YouTube on... videos and Picross. Oh, okay. That's what I've been playing for the past. Right, week I want or so. a quick little update. So you've turned off all the helps on Picross. Yeah. And, and Julia is now addicted as well. Oh, you you showed her how to play. Mm-hmm. Have either of you? Has she gotten stumped to the point where she's like, had to use a hint, or have you gotten so stumped where you're like? Have you seen what it does? Like there's a hint roulette where it just like will spin. I have give seen you that, two, but no, I don't do that. Two rows. But so you've never gotten so stumped that you're so, like. So no, what I'll do is if I get stumped, if I get to a point where I just cannot go forward, I will do the check mistakes. And then if I've, if I do that and I've got a bunch of mistakes, I just start over. And usually I find usually starting over is um enough to 
like just freshen it up and I can use it usually power right through it. But like I had a puzzle the other day that I spent like 40 minutes on <laughs> and I couldn't figure it out and I just quit and started over and then I solved it in like 10 minutes or something. Uh, but that I find usually that um, just taking a break and going back a, a, a little bit later with like a, a little bit of fresher eyes and you can figure it out pretty quickly. But Julia has run into a couple where like uh, she's got she got really frustrated <laughs> with one of them. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, she's she's doing real well with it too. She's just working right through it. Um. Okay. So. Ne- uh, this Friday, Red Sparrow. No, thank you. Comes out. Not interested in Red Sparrow. Um. All right. Well, then I guess we don't have anything to announce that we're going to be covering. We'll just uh, keep our and we are everything. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Seeing- I've got I've got plenty of YouTube videos I can talk about. Um. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, if you had room for a TV show. Well, like I said, we've been watching The Office, but what TV show are you watching? Well, I was gonna start a new TV show. Um, it's British. There's two two seasons. Mm -hmm. So that means there's only six episodes, which is perfect for Mm me. Um, It's called the Frankenstein Chronicles. Okay. But I honestly don't know what it's about. All I know is that Mary Shelley is a character in the show. Uh That's the one with Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Uh It's his, it's his like, like apparently he's been like trying to get this made for a while. Okay. And so that's on Netflix. I was like, I'm interested. I don't really know much about it. Uh, and it's only six episodes. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have uh, another school shooting to talk about. Here it is. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> I'm sure we can talk about something political. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. 